This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. We're kicking off a brand new series this morning called Doctrine, and I know that that word gets everybody really excited. Now, I know that uh, a lot of people, they don't really understand why do we need doctrine, why is it important, why is it something that we should talk about. And over the next three weeks, I want to take the time to really go through uh, some key doctrines here at Word of Grace just to help strengthen your foundation. This is going to be more of a two-part teaching that I'm going to do today because I'm going to lead off with talking about kind of what doctrine is and then you know help you understand why we need those things. And then the second part of my message is going to bring an actual doctrinal truth to life. So you're kind of getting a combo message today. Woohoo! Right? All right. So it's good stuff. So what is doctrine and why is it important? Doctrine is a set of ideas or beliefs that are taught to be true. They're believed to be true. So when we say this is what we believe and we base that not on how we feel, we base that not on what we think, but we base that on the solid rock and the solid foundation of the Word of God. Amen, somebody? So that means that I need to align my beliefs with what God has already said and not expect God to align what He does with the way I want to think. So many people in our world today think that they can just make up their own brand of truth and they think, oh, I'll just believe something and therefore it becomes true for me. And everyone kind of makes up their own version of what truth is. And we have this idea in this popular teaching in our society today that would say that our belief is relative, that it's something that we get to decide. No, truth is going to be truth. It's just, are we going to align with it, right? Because there's so many things that God has said that maybe we like and maybe we don't like, and it's all true, and it all needs to be taught, and it all needs to be understood, whether I like it or not. Amen, somebody? So it's very important. So I want you to understand what doctrine is, and here's three things that doctrine does. Number one, doctrine strengthens our foundation. Doctrine strengthens our foundation. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Philippians, the first chapter. We're going to go through quite a few scriptures here today, so keep up if you can. That'd be great. Otherwise, write them down. They will be available on the notes, so if you use the Version Bible app, uh, you can have a copy of those. Um, just go to a, an event in your area on that app, and you'll be able to actually follow along with my notes. And if you forgot your Bible today, uh, no worries. We have Bibles in the back. Um, they are out of the same translation which I am preaching, which is the English Standard. And if you're using the Bible app, Flip it over to the English Standard Version if you want to read along with the translation that, uh, that I'm reading out of today. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul says this when he's writing to the church in Philippi. He says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He said, listen, it's my prayer that love would abound more and more, but also that you would grow in knowledge and discernment. Man, we need knowledge and discernment. Discernment is simply us being able to tell what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong, because everything that's evil doesn't come out wearing a big sign that says, I'm evil, right? 
Everything that's said or taught or preached or believed doesn't come out and say, I'm evil. Well, if there were a big sign saying this were evil, we would obviously stay away from it. But those things try to sneak in and they try to slither in. And it's very, very uh, sneaky the way that the enemy tries to sneak those things in. And uh, we end up believing things that simply are not true. So we need to make sure that we strengthen our foundation through understanding doctrine so we can be able to discern right from wrong. Now, that doesn't mean that every single person that doesn't teach 100% of everything that you agree with is a bad person and is not someone that you should listen to. But a mature believer will be able to eat the fish and spit out the bones, okay? You'll be able to go, okay, I want the good part, but I don't necessarily agree with everything. The only difference would be is someone violating core doctrinal beliefs that would come against the deity of Jesus Christ, that would come against Christ being the only way. If they're preaching another gospel other than Jesus being the way to the Father, then you don't need to listen to those people because there's nothing good there, okay? So that's kind of a good test as you're learning how to discern. But it doesn't mean that everyone that, uh, uh, that, that's out there teaching is wrong or, or bad, um, but there are a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing, as we all are well aware of. And we need to learn to be able to discern and make sure that we know what we believe and, more importantly, why we believe it. Amen? So many times, man, people, they, they believe things just because someone shares them or someone says them. That's why I give you so many scripture references, guys. This is a way that I shepherd you and pastor you as your senior pastor. It's not just so you can take notes and write them down. It's so you can actually go and check these things out for yourself because I don't want you to believe anything that I teach because I said it. I want you to trust that God said it. Amen? And so you need to make sure you check for yourself and not just what Pastor Derek says. No, it doesn't matter in eternity what Pastor Derek says. What matters is what did Jesus say. And I need to make sure that I'm believing what Christ has said about me and what his will is for me. Amen? And so there may be times where, you know, I may be off and you need to check me on those things. I expect you guys to get into the word for yourself and not just to take every single thing that we teach as canon truth. Although we try to do due diligence and make sure that we are students of the word, that we're doing our part. And that's my job to make sure that those who are teaching here at our church are doing due diligence. But at the same time, it's your job as a believer to make sure that you get into the word for yourself. Amen. There needs to come a point, this is not in my notes, this is dangerous, there needs to come a point where in your walk with Christ that you are able to grow on your own. Oh, I'm sorry, let me say that again. There needs to come a point in your walk with Christ where you need to be able to grow on your own. Now, it's good for you to come to church. It's good for you to fellowship with other believers. It's good for you to hear solid biblical teaching to encourage you, to strengthen your foundation, to uh, encourage you, to edify you, to build you up, or to challenge you, or to bring you to a place of repentance, or to help you to come to a realization of some things God's trying to show you. But church should not be the only time that you get into the Word of God. Right? Because if you're just dependent upon one meal a week, you are going to starve to death. And you need to get into the Word for yourself and learn how to get into the Word for yourself. You need to learn how to do those things, but you also need to be solid on what you believe and why you believe it. Amen? Matthew 7 and verse 13, 
<clears throat> Jesus said this. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. So there's this big wide gate and a lot of people are finding it. He said, many people are going to find it. Verse 14, then there is a gate that's narrow and a way that's hard, but that way leads to life. And those who find it, he said, those people are few. He said, but beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. As you're growing and learning how to discern and strengthen your foundation, you're able to discern both from good and evil. You need to look at the fruit of what is being taught. There's a lot of things that may sound right to you, a lot of things you may want to hear, but is there any fruit to it? Is there any fruit in the life of the one who's teaching it? Is there any fruit surrounding people who adhere to those certain beliefs, or do they always run into the same snags and roadblocks? You need to be able to look, is there any good fruit? Because Jesus said a tree would be known by its fruit. So doctrine strengthens our foundation. The second thing doctrine does is it builds our confidence to share the Word of God with others. In Hebrews chapter 5, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible says, For by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. I know we live in Wisconsin. Milk's kind of a big deal here. And everybody's like, What's wrong with milk? nothing wrong with milk, but you can't really grow if you just drink milk, right? Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have had their uh, powers of discernment trained by constant practice to discern and distinguish good from evil. He said, listen, our skill or power of discernment is something that can actually be trained and can actually grow. So as I grow in my ability to be able to discern right from wrong, good for evil, and from truth from a lie, then it's actually going to not only be something that's going to help me, but it's also going to help other people. That's why 2 Timothy 2 and 15 says we need to study to show ourselves approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to grow in doctrine so we as believers can pass these things down to other people and teach them. And so a lot of the things that you've had to wade through and a a lot of the things that you've had to grow through And a lot of the things that you have learned as you've grown in discernment, as you teach and impart those truths to the next generation, to your children, to your grandchildren, as you begin to impart and teach those things, man, my prayer, my desire would be that they wouldn't have to wade through some of the junk that we've had to wade through. Amen? Because I've had to unlearn just as much as I've had to learn. Maybe more in some areas. And I know all of us are kind of in that same boat. Because we're all growing. It doesn't mean that there was anything wrong or evil with a lot of the things perhaps that we learned. There's truths that we glean from that and we continue to move on. But as we begin to grow and say, man, I was caught up in this for a season or I thought this was true for a season because it's all I knew. It's what I was taught. It's what I was shown. It's all I knew when I was at a very impressionable young age. And that's the only thing that was familiar to me. And anything outside of that feels odd or feels strange. But as you begin to grow and you see truth in Scripture, as your beliefs begin to be challenged by the truth of Scripture, then you've got to make a decision. 
Am I going to do what's familiar? Am I going to do what I've always done? Or am I going to go, well, God, if you said this and my experience contradicts what you said, then I can either live the rest of my life based on my experience or I can side with you in your word. You see, as I want to strengthen my foundation and learn to discern both good from evil, right from wrong, or maybe just truth from something that's just not truth, that could be just man-made religion. When you see that truth, that truth will truly set you free. And you need to pursue that and you need to grow in that. Amen, somebody? And then you share that with other people so they don't have to go through some of the things that you went through. They'll have to go through their own battles. They'll have to wade through their own waters for sure. But at the same time, you will be able to steer them away from some things that were unhealthy in your life as you have grown on your journey as a believer. The third thing that doctrine does is it deepens our trust in God. It deepens our trust in God because we all need to grow, right? So if I don't know why I believe what I believe, and if I don't know what I believe, then how can I really trust God? You see, my level of relationship with God is based off of me knowing Him. It's based off me knowing how He operates. Because I need to know, how can I have access to God? How, on what level can I speak to God? What are things that are His desire, His will for my life? And the more I know about Him, and the more I know Him, then the more I'm going to be able to trust Him, regardless of what the circumstance looks like, regardless of what everyone else would try to tell me or convince me of. If God says this is truth and I believe it, then it's going to deepen my trust. And doctrine does that. Doctrine deepens my faith and my trust in God. And I'm going to use this series kind of as a supplementation. So just to kind of give you my little hidden agenda here, all right? I do have a hidden agenda with this series because as we went and looked back on all of the teachings that we've done over the past few years here at Word of Grace, we have hit a lot of our key doctrines and a lot of the key things that we believe. And what I want to do is I want to actually build a list of all of those messages on our website for both people who are checking us out, people who are new, people that want to grow, or maybe just you who want to know more about what we believe and what Scripture says about it. So there's actually going to be a section when we're done with this series on our website that's going to have every teaching of all of the doctrines of the church. And we're, we're going to, uh, you'll actually be able to listen to those and see more in-depth teaching instead of just see a statement with a few Scriptures put together with it. So that's going to really help people who are coming and checking Word of Grace out, want to know what we believe. And it'll help our body here, our, you all, to be able to grow and understand what we believe and why we believe it to help you grow and mature as well. And as we looked, there were really three key areas that we hadn't hit on. And so I thought, well, those are the three I'm going to teach in this three-part series. So cha-ching, easy enough. <laughs> the rest of them are taken care of. I've already taught extensively on the others, and we're going to compile those. But these three are going to be more of the supplemental ones. So in 2016, beginning of the year, we set a goal. And that goal was to grow to the next level in maturity, family, and influence. How many of you remember talking about growing to the next level? You remember us talking about we're going to grow in those three specific areas, maturity, family, and influence. And we had a great message last weekend from Pastor Kirby, didn't we? Wrapping up the series on family and helping us grow in family. And we've talked about that throughout the year. We've talked about growing uh, in our relationships and as a family. And we've hit on that at different parts throughout the year. We've also talked about influence. If you remember when Pastor Dennis Episcopal came and he shared with us about evangelism. And we've done a lot of things about growing influence and developing leadership. And now as we are getting to the last portion of 2016, we want to make sure that we're continuing with that vision of growing to the next level by making sure that we are maturing as disciples of Jesus. Amen? 
So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. We're going to talk about the millennial reign in the afterlife. And today, we're going to talk about the church. And here's what our doctrinal statement reads like. It says, we believe that the true church is universally composed of all those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ according to the scriptures and are united together in the body of Christ of which he is the head. Only those who are members of the universal church, the body of Christ, may be members of the local church. Every local church has the right and responsibility under Christ to decide and govern its own affairs. So that's one of our statements of belief that we have as word of grace concerning the church. Now, as we look at the word church in the English Bible is the, is the Greek word ekklesia, all right? And that word simply means called out ones. The church means called out ones. And when we say the church, what we really mean is we're talking about one of two things. And the first one that we mean is we're talking about the body of Christ because the church is the body of Christ. We use really those two different terms. And I I grew up hearing it like this. There's either big C church where you're talking about the body of Christ or there's little C church where you're talking more like the local church, like word of grace being the church you are a part of that family, that gathering of believers. Now, uh, here's the thing. The church, the big C church, means the body of Christ in which all who put their faith in Jesus' sacrifice as payment for our redemption, they're all a part of that. That means that we're all on the same team with people who put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Amen? That they're not teaching another way. They're not teaching other things. They're saying Jesus Christ is the ultimate payment for our sin, and we worship Him alone, and we serve Him alone, and He is the one who has uh, uh, remedied this uh, condition that we were in uh, of being sinful, disconnected, cut off from a relationship with God, and Jesus paid the price for us. And if we believe that, then we are connected with other believers. Now, the universal church is also what we refer to as the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of Christ. The body of Christ that's actually here in this earth. You remember in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 where the Apostle Paul was talking about us being representatives of Jesus Christ and the earth. He was talking about us being those people who are actually sent out to represent Christ in the earth because it's you and I now who are doing the work that Christ started in the earth by us going out and sharing the good news of what he did on the cross. Amen? And it's our responsibility. And he said that we are ambassadors. We're representatives of Jesus Christ. He even took it like this a little further. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, he said, it's as if God himself were pleading through you to this world. Be reconciled back to God. Accept the free gift of forgiveness. It's as if God himself were pleading through you. You're the vessel that God has chosen to use to, to, to plead his case, and to, and to show people the goodness of God by taking someone like you and me, as broken as we are, and doing something wonderful and amazing and beautiful in us so it will become a testimony to this world of the grace of God actively at work at someone's life. That way you look at somebody and that, that, that you had pegged as just this awful person and God gets a hold of them, the next thing you know, people go, I never thought that guy could change. Well, God did that. God did that all by his big bad self. God did that, and God can do that in you, right? 
And then we begin to see that love and that mercy kind of flow through their lives because our lives then become a conduit of God's grace and God's mercy. It's not just something that we store up for us, but it's something that rather flows through us as a testimony, as a light to the world. And that's our job as the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, living our lives, pleasing God, living our lives to please Him, to serve Him, and to serve other people the way that He served other people. Let's go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 16. The big C church is built off of the revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I want to show you where Jesus talked about this very thing in Matthew 6 and 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now just stop right there. Here we see that the disciples and Jesus went to the region of Caesarea Philippi. This was not somewhere that decent people wanted to be. It was kind of the bad side of town, if you will. You don't go there. If you go there, you kind of get associated with what's going on there, and you wouldn't want to be caught dead going to this area. Caesarea Philippi was primarily the uh, concentration of pagan worship of the pagan god Pan. You ever heard of the Pan flute? Well, the god Pan used to use the Pan flute to try to lure people in to have sex with them and would have just vile orgies and all kinds of things. It was a very sexual area and people would go to Caesarea Philippi to worship the god Pan. There was a temple there and still is there to this day that was built to the god Pan, very highly sexualized area. And here's Jesus and his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. And they're kind of like checking over their shoulder, you know, going, oh, I hope I don't run into anybody I see. Kind of like when you go to Walmart and you don't look that great because you're like, I'll just put on some sweats and this old nasty shirt. Man, I hope I don't run into anybody I see. And then next thing you know, everybody from church is at Walmart. That's kind of what was going on, but worse, okay? That's a terrible illustration. (laughs) Verse 4, it is. Jesus said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So here is one of the most wicked, vile places in their region. And Jesus takes his disciples there, and then he asks them the question while they're there. And they're very well aware of where they're at. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. You know, they start throwing out and dropping some names of people that were respected. John the Baptist, or some people say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? Man, before I read any further, just to reiterate the importance of doctrine. You can repeat and recite what other people have told you to repeat and recite. But Jesus was not interested as much in what you could repeat or recite. He said, who do you say that I am? You see, you can learn what someone else tells you. Just like Jesus said, who do other people say that I am? And they gave all these answers. But then he drills down and makes it personal. And he says, that's great that you know what other people said. It's great that you've learned what other people have said about me, but now Let's make it personal. Who do you say that I am? Man, that hits you right between the eyes. Oh, wow. Then Peter says to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, when he was saying Christ, it wasn't 
him saying Jesus' last name, okay? Because Christ is not Jesus' last name. Some people's minds just got blown right there. Christ was a title for the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the one that they have been looking for for centuries, knowing that God was going to send someone to come and to redeem mankind back unto God. And he said, you're that one that I've been hearing about my whole life. You're the one that's been talked about my whole life. You're the one that is that Passover lamb. Because every year, Peter and his family have been celebrating the Passover supper when God passed over the homes of the Israelites that had put the blood on their forepost of their home when the death angel came through in the land of Egypt thousands of years ago. And they're still celebrating that. And he said, you are the Passover lamb. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the one that Isaiah prophesied about who is going to come and heal our wounds and bind us up and, and heal us and make all things new. You are the one that Jeremiah talked about. You're the one that was spoken of in Ezekiel. You're the one who we have been looking for and waiting for, the Christ, the anointed one of God, the Messiah who's coming to make all things new. Just in that little statement where he said, you're the Christ. That's the weight of what Peter was saying to Jesus. The weight of the revelation of who he is. He says, who do men say that I am? Elijah, John the Baptist, maybe Jeremiah or a prophet. He said, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ. You're the anointed one. He said, you're the son of God. Jesus answered him and he said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That means son of Jonah. He said, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. He said, listen, on this I'm going to build my church. Now what's he talking about there? Certainly he's not talking about Peter because God wouldn't want to build his perfect and holy church on a frail human, right? He built rather his church upon the revelation of the fact that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. So the very foundation of the church, the universal church, is the revelation that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen, somebody? That's the foundation of this thing. If we lose that, then the whole house is going to come crashing down. We have to have that at the very core. We have to have that at the foundation of the universal church and the local church and our very lives. Amen, somebody. You see, that's why the church is the body of Christ because it's built upon the revelation that Jesus Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has redeemed us and set us free. Now, that's the universal church. Now, when we talk about the local church, word of grace... We're talking about a local gathering or community of believers of like faith. So when we talk about the universal church, we understand that it's people who adhere to believing in Christ as the final payment, the, the one who has done it all for us. And when it comes to the local church, it's those of us who gather in a local community and we are believers of like faith. Now, Word of Grace is a local gathering that's a part of the universal, that's a part of the larger body of Christ. That means that we're on the same team as other churches that preach Jesus is the only way and that we're not in competition. Amen? Amen. 
You see, if churches are teaching and preaching that Jesus Christ is the only way, and they're teaching and preaching and staying true to the truity of Scripture, then we are on the same team, and we are not in competition. Man, I'll tell you, guys, I get so sick sometimes of churches feeling this competition thing. Oh, man, it just really bothers me. It bothers me a lot, especially when you'll talk to other pastors and the first question that they get out of their mouths before you can even have a decent conversation saying, hello, how are you, is how many people are you running? They want to know how many people are, are going to your church, and they want to know who's going to your church, and if certain people are going to your church, then they get jealous, or they get upset if someone that used to go to their church now goes to your church, and all these things like that, and it's really silly, and it's childish. And it divides us, and it separates us, and it keeps us away from the true purpose that God has called us to. And, and part of that purpose is to show unity to the world. We're supposed to show unity to the world that people can disagree about certain things, but they still hold true to the core beliefs, and they can still get along. And it's an amazing, beautiful thing. They don't have to believe every tiny little thing that I think or every opinion that I have for me to be able to converse with them or talk to them or walk with them. And I don't need to, to, to think that I'm better. Man, the way that I grew up in the church that I grew up in, we thought we were elitist, buddy. We had it all. We had the full revelation of everything and everybody else, oh, bless their little hearts. You know how it is in the South. You're blessing everybody's heart. That means you idiot. We, we, we were blessing everybody's little heart, and that really was us saying, we're better than you. At the core, that's really what we were saying. When we would say, bless your little heart, we were saying, I'm smarter than you. I have more revelation in the Scripture than you have. And man, the Bible rails against that very line of thinking. The Bible talks so much about us not thinking higher of ourselves than we should. Bible talks about so much about pride comes before a fall. Bible talks so much about us thinking that we're, we're, we're criticizing and judging everyone else and, 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 and wanting to, to, to pull a speck out of their eye when we don't even see the big plank in our own. There's so many things that rail against that type of thinking. So I'm glad you come to Word of Grace. I really am glad you're here. But I don't want you to think that you're better than anyone else because you come to Word of Grace. Can I get an amen, somebody? I don't want you to think that because of our teaching here that we've got something that no one else has and we're better than other people. I don't want you to think because of our worship or because of our facilities or because of certain friendships or people that attend here that you think that you're, you're, you're a leader better than someone else. Man, that kind of junk divides and the enemy loves to try to sneak his way into dividing us and making us think higher of ourselves than we should. Amen? So how do you avoid that type of thinking? I'll tell you how. You serve other people. If you keep serving other people and you allow yourself to be put in a position to serve other people, then God will use that as a way to keep your heart humble. Serve other people. Not just here in your local church. Serve, man, serve people you don't agree with. Serve them. Sir, you know, maybe some of the best serving you could do would be listening to somebody that disagrees with you and you just giving your ear and just letting them know that you care about them. You don't even have to agree with them. But maybe somebody just needs a listening ear. Maybe someone needs a friend. 
And instead of us thinking of ourselves higher than we should, we actually need to start serving people, even those we disagree with. And that's good preaching. I don't care who you are. <laughs> Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read this great text that the Apostle Paul wrote concerning the church and unity and all of us working together. Ephesians chapter 4, let's start reading this in verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by every cunning and crafty and deceitful scheme. So every time some new fad comes along in Christianity, you just don't jump on the bandwagon. Amen? Just so every time that something comes along that tickles your ears and sounds good to you, you don't just chase after it. Just because something made you feel good, you want to go, what does the Bible say about this? Because you don't want to go into those more difficult things and you want to run away from it. He said, don't be tossed around like that. He said, don't be tossed around to and fro. Man, don't even be tossed to and fro with churches and things like that. People can just get tossed to and fro and never get planted and grounded and rooted to where they can grow and mature. He said, don't be tossed around. Don't, go to, don't just chase after somebody who's going to say things that you want to hear. Don't go chase after every wind of doctrine because there's so much out there. He said, don't. He said, instead, grow into mature adulthood. Grow and mature as a believer. Verse 15, rather, we need to speak the truth in love and we're able to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That means into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow, so it builds itself up in love. It means, man, not only is the church somewhere that I go and it's a place that I am a part of, that's a community of believers, but it's actually who I am. Because the church is just not somewhere we go, it's who we are. We are the body of Christ. We are a part of Word of Grace, and it's more than just an organization. It's more than just somewhere that you choose to go on Sunday. This is you actually being a, a, a joint or a ligament or, or a part of that body to help move the agenda of God forward in the world. And he's doing certain things in our space that he's given us influence in to be able to work together where we don't just attend, but we actually are involved. And when we involve and we realize we have a part, then we begin to edify one another. We begin to grow as a church. We begin to expand influence for the kingdom of God. And we begin to see other people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the way we treat them, through the way we serve them, through the way we love them, through the way that we teach them. And we begin to each have a part of making that happen. And I realize that church is not this thing that I punch in and out of. It's not, oh, doing my time, boom, boom. You work at a place where you have like the old school time cards. I worked at a place where we had old school time cards, and I was always scared to put that card in there because it was violent when it would punch that time card, man. It's like, boom. And that's how some people look at their Christianity. They bring their, they bring their time card to God, 
Whether it's through a morning devotional, they punch in and then they say amen and they punch out and then they don't think about God the rest of the day. Whether it's through coming to church on the weekend, they punch in, boom, boom, and then they punch out and then they move on with the rest of their life, not giving any thought or mention to God or involvement with God in their lives. This is not somewhere that we go, it is who we are, amen? It's who we are. We are the body of Christ. Every single day, you are still a representative of Christ. You are still a part of the church. You are still that member, regardless of where you are and what you're doing. Amen? And that could be amen or oh me. Because it doesn't matter. It's not like we get to take off the jersey and then we're done. No, it's, it's who we are. The church is not somewhere we go. It's who we are. And here at Word of Grace, we say that when you're here, you are family. You're cared for. We want to love you like you were actually part of our biological family because you know what? If you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a part of our forever family, right? You may even have members of your natural biological family that don't claim Christ, that if they don't claim Christ before they move on from this life, they may not be a part of your forever family. So you need to recognize the relationship that we have here. And so if you can't get along with other people who claim Christ, man, you'll have a while to work that thing out. They're part of your forever family, so that means we need to love one another while we're here, amen? We need to care about one another while we're here because we're going to be together for a minute. Okay? We're going to be together for a minute. I mean, forever. We have no concept of what that's even like, really. We have no idea what that even means, but that's how long we're going to be together. So I, I hope you guys like each other because we're all going to be worshiping God together. So why not work out things here that will actually bring glory to God and show people the unity of the church and the unity of the body of Christ? Amen? That's why this is not an organization. Yeah, yeah, there's an organization part to it. I get that. There's a business part to it. I get that. We need to be good stewards and be responsible in those areas. But that is not the extent of what it means when we say church. Sunday is not the extent and the apex of what we mean when we say church. This is who we are, folks. I'm a representative of the body of Christ. I'm a representative of the church globally And I'm also a representative of this local body, church, this local gathering, wherever I go. Amen? Everywhere that I go. And we are a church family. And I like to give this illustration. And I know a lot of you have heard me share this before, but if it's worth saying once, it's worth saying again. That's kind of how my philosophy goes. Imagine, if you will, that there's two tables up here and that you're going to have a meal at this table. And you could look at this table and actually even have the exact same meal at the table. Let's say we're going to have burgers and fries. I love burgers and fries, all right? So let's say we're going to have burger and fries at this table and at this table. Now, over here at this table, this would be like a table you would see at a restaurant. You would have someone come and serve you. You would have a waiter or waitress. And you would have someone cook your food for you. The table's already set for you. The atmosphere's already set for you. And it is only your responsibility to show up and to tell them what you want and to pay for it 
before you leave. That's your only role there. Everything else is all about you other than those small items. Now over here at this table, this is like a table you would see at your, in your home, a family table. You could have the same meal, but your expectation of the experience of that atmosphere is going to be completely different. You have a lot more responsibility over here at the family table. If things don't go well over here at the restaurant table, if your burger was undercooked, overcooked, service was slow, things weren't working out according to the way you wanted them to, maybe the temperature was too hot, too cold, your drink got too empty. We've all had those experiences, right? I'm not going to name any restaurants, but I have a few in mind right now. What do we do when we're done with that? What do we say when we leave? I'm never going back there again, right? Because our focus was us here. But when I'm at the family table, what if my meal's overcooked and undercooked? I remember when my dad first started cooking. My dad's here this morning, so I've got to be careful. But when my dad first started cooking stuff, I remember me and my sister, we couldn't stand certain things a certain way. And dad said, oh, it's better this way. And we would make him go back out, throw it on the grill, and he would have to burn these things that he spent all this time and just had it to perfection. But me and my sister would say, I can see pink. Ah. Oh, it's bleeding. That's not blood. He said, that's not blood. That's just the seasoning I put in it. It's bleeding. It's bleeding. Put it back on the grill. And he would be like, you guys are ruining my food. Now, just because my food was undercooked or overcooked, I didn't abandon my family, right? Matter of fact, I had responsibilities at my family table. I had to either help set the table or clean up, or I had to help do the dishes. But I could be eating that same meal that I ate at the restaurant, but the expectation is completely different. Word of grace is the family table. When we say that we're family, we mean that we each have a part. And yeah, there may be disagreements at the family table, But we don't abandon each other when we disagree, amen? Amen. What do we do at the family table? We work it out, right? Because we're family. Over here at the restaurant, if I disagree with the waiter or the waitress or if I don't like the way things are going, I have no investment there at all. And because I have no investment, I will quickly abandon that relationship. And I'm not dare going to think about doing dishes when I'm at the restaurant. Because that's what I'm paying somebody else to do. So many people have that attitude with church. Oh, I'm not going to get involved. That's what we pay the staff to do. Oh, I'm not going to get connected here because, you know, I, 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 things aren't going the way I want them to. But when you're family, when you understand the family atmosphere and the family relationship, and you feel that, and, and, and you're, you've bought into that, and you get that, then you understand, I'm a part. Just like the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, every part does its share and it causes edification and growth in the body. Now, not only is the church who we are, and it's more than just simply somewhere we go, church is a place for connection. A connection to worship God together, a connection to learn together, a connection to support one another in good times and bad times, a connection to serve one another and to be a light to the world by our unity, by our love, by our forgiveness, by the way we treat one another. Jesus said in John 13 and 35, he said that by this all men are going to know that you're my disciples. He said, if you have love one for another. He said, that's going to be the calling card. 
It's not going to be how big your steeple is or how fancy your stained glass is or, or how loud you say amen or how great your worship music is. He said, that's not how the world's going to know. He said, the world's going to know by the way you treat each other if you have love one for another. That's going to be the calling card. Why? Because that's the one thing the world is looking for that they completely misunderstand. If this world misunderstands anything, they have a bad definition of what love is. Wouldn't you agree? They think that love is, is, is being maybe celebrated by every little thing that they do. They think love is sex. They think that love is always being surrounded by people and, that make them feel important. They think that love is, 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 is just always uh, puppies and bunnies and, and flowers. And, and, and they think love is, a, is all these gushy feelings that I have. And that's why they sing about it. You can hear it in the world's songs. Man, when they sing about love, it's like you're capturing an emotion, but you don't really understand love. You may be able to articulate ways that people feel, but you don't understand what real love is. Because here's the thing, folks. Love is something that we decide when I say, hey, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to continue to love you when I feel like it and when I don't. That means it's a conscious choice that we make. It's something that trust helps us to deepen. And that's what we do in family. And that's what we do as a church. And as we do that, the world's going to take notice. And they're going to see, wow, there's something different there. So I want to ask you this question. Are you connected? Because how are you ever going to grow? And how are we ever going to grow as a church and as a body if you're not connected? Are you connected? Last scripture I want to read this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. You guys are doing a good job hanging in there because when I thought, oh man, we're going to do a series on doctrine, people are either going to be really excited about it or they're going to be like, oh, what are we going to talk about? This is really exciting to me that you guys are just connecting with this. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You notice that that day is capitalized where he's talking about the day of the Lord when he returns. He's saying, listen, we don't need to forsake or neglect meeting together. We need to be connected to one another. And we actually need to be encouraging one another and spurring one another on to good works encouraging one another to get connected, encouraging one another to get involved. And if we see someone beginning to show signs of being disconnected, that we love them and care for them enough that we want to encourage them and spur them on to get connected because we don't want them to abandon us meeting together and connecting, especially as the day of the Lord is approaching because there's so many things that could get us to doubt and so many things that could sway us and so many things that could discourage us and knock us off course. And God created us for a relationship and He created us to be able to encourage one another and to help bear one another's burdens. And He created us to be able to pray for one another and to care for one another in the context of family, in the context of church. <coughs> Let me tell you something. It's very important that we get connected because church is a place for connection. So we need to get connected to our church family by being faithful. How can we expect to be connected if we aren't consistent? The best connections that we have in life are the consistent connections. 
And I would encourage you today, as your pastor, to make connecting with other people in the context of the church. Make that a priority. Make church a non-negotiable that you begin to plan your life around instead of you begin to make it if you have time. Because if you really want to grow, and if you really want to learn how to do this thing and be a person that's growing and loving God, loving people, and serving the world, man, you got to get connected because you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. You need to have those relationships encouraging you, spurring you on. You need to have solid teaching. You need to have people holding you accountable. There's that word, right? We need to have that. So we need to be faithful. We need to be consistent. The second thing to get connected in your church family is to serve. And some people, they say, I just don't know anyone. Well, are you serving? Are you plugged in? Are you actually helping us move forward and do what God has called us to do? Because some of the best relationships that have been formed in the context of the local church have been through people actually serving and working together. They actually get to know other people. So if, if you're feeling disconnected, if you're wondering, you know, well, well, well no one is, is, is really connecting with me, are you serving? Are you plugging in? Are you getting involved? The other thing that I would encourage you to get connected to your church family is through community groups. We have community groups here at Word of Grace for that very purpose because we believe that discipleship happens best in the context of relationships. That means that for you to truly grow, that means for you to truly uh, be able to grow as a disciple of Christ, that you need other people to walk alongside you. And we believe that the best discipleship happens when you have trust built with other people. Because... There's only so much I'm going to share with what's going on in my life with someone I don't really know, right? I mean, there's a few people who, as soon as you meet them, they want to tell you their life story, and we all know who those people are, but at the same time, not everybody's that way, and, and even people who are more of an open book, they don't immediately go deep with just everybody, but when you build trust with other people, you begin to open up your life, you begin to actually trust and confide in other people. And they can actually help you grow at a deeper level. So that's part of the purpose of why we have community groups here at Word of Grace. Another way to get connected to your church family is through events. Man, when we have events here uh, at our church, when we put on an event, show up. Show up and, and either get involved or, 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 or get connected by uh, coming and, and saying hello to someone. And that really leads to the last point is be friendly to other people. Because this works both ways. You know, I've grown up in church my entire life. And a lot of times people in church, they think, well, we have a really friendly church because we're all friendly to each other. And everyone feels like we're friendly because you see people that you know. But in reality, are you friendly? Are you welcoming to the person who is walking through the doors for the very first time? Are you engaging someone that you don't quite know? And I don't mean just when Pastor Derek says, all right, let's go find somebody we don't know and shake their hand and say hello today while we play a little ditty up here. All right, and then you're going around shaking hands and saying hello to people. And they're like, I'm doing this because the pastor told me to do it. He told me to find three people. Okay, let's see who's closest to me. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> this works both ways, right? On one side, we need to make sure that we're being friendly and welcoming, not just of the people that we know and that we see, but we need to engage people that are checking out our church and being, uh, they may be just checking us out and wanting to know what's going on. Amen. Okay, like three people. Okay, here's the deal. Somebody was friendly to you, okay? Somebody was friendly to you. 
somebody connected with you. And this does work both ways because sometimes people will isolate themselves and they'll say, no one is being friendly to me. But the Bible says that if we want friends, we must show ourselves friendly. So that means there needs to be effort on both parts. Amen? Amen. That if you're, if you're new here and you're looking for connection, be friendly. Don't just wait for other people to engage you. But those of you who are here, don't just assume that those people are being engaged. Why don't you engage them? And if we both agree to do that, then people will get connected, and it'll be a beautiful thing. But if we isolate ourselves, and we who are regulars at Word of Grace think that it's just being taken care of, or that's not my job, then it won't happen. And then if the people who are waiting to be connected to are thinking, well, I'm not going to be friendly. I'm waiting for someone to come here. Then we're all just sitting at the wrong table, right? So we need to engage one another. It's very important that we do that. So I just want to encourage you guys today before you leave, because I believe that God is doing special things at our church And he uses the local church to move his big C, big church agenda, the universal church forward. And I want to be in step and in tune with what God's doing. Amen? Amen. Because there's a lot of folks in this world that need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people who are wounded, who have given up on church that need to be reconnected. There's a lot of people who have thrown their hands up in the air and who are at the very end of their rope that they need hope. There are people in this world who need to know the truth of Jesus Christ. There are people who've grown up with bad teaching who are living a lot, uh, living actually beneath God's best for them. And I want them to grow and mature and to see and become everything God wants them to be too. And so we need to do our part. We need to do our part. We need to recognize church is not somewhere that we go, it's who we are, and that we want to be connected and we want to get connected to others. Because as we do and as we make this doctrine that we've learned and taught today, as we make this part of our foundation, it's going to help guide and direct the decisions that we make and how we engage and interact with others and how we look at church So my prayer today is that your lens has been sharpened of what the church is supposed to be and of what God has called the church to be. And my hope is is that you have grown today. Now if you have, the fruit of it is going to be that you actually apply and do what we've been talking about, right? Because we don't just want to be hearers of the word, we want to be doers. So why don't you stand this morning? Let's pray together. God, help us today to actually put these things into practice. As we go through this series in doctrine, I pray that you would help us to strengthen that foundation, not just to know what we believe, but why we believe it, so we can be doers of the Word, so we can be those representatives of Christ, so we can be a church that is connected and that engages other people, as well as we take the steps to engage. Help us to grow as a church by understanding Lord, what our purpose is and the reason that you've called us. Thank you, Lord, that we are the sent ones to be representatives in this world for you. Pray that we stir one another up to good works. Pray that we encourage one another. Pray that we connect, Lord, with you and stay connected in our relationship with you beyond just a Sunday. Help us to grow and mature and be able to discern when teaching comes along, Lord, that doesn't align with your word because we've actually been in your word. Help us to grow and strengthen that area of discernment in our lives, Lord. Help us to be solid believers who are encouraging one another, who are holding one another up during the good times and the bad, bearing one another's burdens, caring for one another, and that the world would see the testimony 
of your church by the way that we love one another with the love that you've loved us with. And we thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for the fruit that's going to come through the application of this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.